Welcome to Blaine Christ the King. You are listening to our weekly service message podcast. Join us every Sunday morning at 10 o'clock at our campus location in Blaine, Washington. Thanks for tuning in. If you've been with us over the past few weeks, we've been going through this series called Love as God Explains It, and we're actually going to wrap that series up today. So we're going to wrap up 1 Corinthians 13. uh, Hopefully it's been uh, a good series just to look deeply at the love that God calls us to. Um, The love that God calls us to, it's really different than the love that we kind of see in culture today. It's a much deeper love. It's a very selfless love that actually would call us to lay down our lives for someone else, to follow in Jesus' footsteps and lay down our lives and surrender and, and put others first. And so today we're going to close out that time. And I wanted to start this morning by asking you a question. If someone asked you why you love people, what would you say? Just think about that. If someone asked you why you love people, what would you say? Would you have an answer? Uh, The summer after my freshman year of college, uh, I got a job with a bank in this big, huge, they called it a cube farm. Anybody know what a cube farm is? It's like an endless sea of cubicles, okay? Just one big office in this endless sea of cubicles. It was a temp job. And um, everywhere you looked, there was just these gray walls everywhere. It was sort of a depressing place to work. (laughs) And I started there with another temp named Emily. And uh, we were both assigned to the foreclosure department of this bank. And that was kind of intimidating for a 19-year-old to walk into a department where people are, are, you know, doing this, working in foreclosure and having these phone calls that are really intense. And uh, my friends used to joke with me that, hey, Tyler, you're not just working for the man. You actually are the man, like working in foreclosure. Uh, meaning I was putting everybody else down. I wasn't. I wasn't even making those phone calls. But um, but the work environment I was in was not a super friendly work environment. Um, it, like a lot of work environments, it was a fairly, a fairly rough, a fairly crude, a lot of inappropriate talk, and especially with the guys. And unfortunately, um, Emily was ridiculed a lot in that work environment. It wasn't, wasn't a good situation. And I remember at the end of the summer as we were walking to our cars to kind of say goodbye for the last time, Emily turned to me and she asked me, hey, Tyler, why are you different? Why are you different than everybody else? And her question caught me off guard. And for a second, I just kind of fumbled around wondering, what am I going to say? Like, I kind of knew an answer, but I, I didn't really know how to say it. And it's easy for us as people to get caught up in loving people and showing people love, but miss the point in why we're actually loving people. In First Peter, it says, always be ready to give an answer for the hope that is within you. Always be ready. Don't forget the mission that you're on, that we're all on a mission, that love has a point to it. And God doesn't send us into the world just to love people pointlessly. He wasn't like, well, there's, they've got this time between when they're born and when they die, and they've got to do something, and I don't want them fighting, so we're just going to have them go and love each other. 
and just go out and love each other and everything will be good and I'll see you on the other side. That's not what God is really calling us to in love. There's a point to our love. And as we come to the end of 1 Corinthians 13 today, Paul is going to show us what this ultimate picture of love looks like. Like there is a sort of this crescendo to love. Like we're going to have love realized uh, at one day. Right now, this picture that he gives us, it's, a, it's sort of incomprehensible for us to think about it like he describes it. But still, it shapes how we see love in the present. So let's look at this uh, 1 Corinthians 13, starting at verse 8 this morning, if you have your Bible. It says this. It says, Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part. Then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three. But the greatest of these is love. Paul tells us that there's a day coming when everything will make sense. When everything, this life, when it passes away, we'll be in a place where we actually belong. Where everything that we've gone through will make sense. We'll actually exist one day in a permanent state of love. And I want you to notice what excites Paul about this. I want you to see what Paul is patiently waiting for and actually pouring his life out for. You know, Paul was so committed to this one day, to this moment, that he gave his life every day, his every day of his life, to, to build up with a vision of this moment. It's what drove him. And I want you to look at a list that Paul wrote at one point in 2 Corinthians 11. This is verse 24. Um, but he gives us this list of everything he's had to endure. And keeping in mind that one day it will all make sense. I just want to read this because you probably resonate with a little bit of it or you're just, it, it's, it's pretty, uh, it's a pretty impressive uh, resume of suffering. So it says, Paul says, five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned, and that's with rocks, if you were wondering. Um, three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city. I just, is this painting a picture yet? Um, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and in hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there's the daily pressure on me of all my anxiety for all the churches. Paul is like unloading, right? Like he's reached his breaking point. He's like, okay, do you want to know what I've had to go through for you guys? Um, he's like, and, and we're like, okay, Paul, we get it, okay? You've suffered. We, we understand, okay? Um, but Paul just poured out his life so that Jesus would be made known. He lived every moment for the moment that he would be with God. 
You know, he poured out his life for the church so that they would grow in their knowledge of God. He poured out his life so that other people who had no clue who Jesus was would one day know who Jesus was. All of his hope was not in this life, obviously. It was in this life to come. Paul is anxiously waiting for what he calls the perfect, or we could also understand it as the completion. That one day things will be complete that we will actually see and experience love in the way it was meant, the fullest amount. You know, right now we're just running on a taste of that. We're running on a taste of God. We don't get to see the full picture yet. And that's what Paul says when he says, For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, and then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. One day Paul knows that he'll be in God's eternal presence. But he says right now, I can only see him dimly. I can only see him dimly. You know, one one day he'll be right there face to face, experience this intimacy with God. He'll be fully loved and fully accepted, clothed in the righteousness of Christ. But right now he only has a vague picture of what that looks like. And so for us, what this picture paints for us is, is this point that I want to talk about. And it's the point of love. The point of love is to be close to God. The point of love, the point of all that we do, the point of, of our lives in love is to be close to God. That's our aim. That everything we need, we will get when we see God face to face, when we are close to him. We will know God. The word that Paul uses when he says that he'll fully know is this word. Uh, I like how it, uh, it's cool. It's, it's this cool word. It's epigonosco. It's just you could say that all day, epigonosco. And it means to know God exactly. Like right now we know God a bit. We, we seek him a bit. But one day we'll know him exactly in a greater way. And so that's what should drive our love is that we have this desire to know God, that we have this desire to know God on a relational level, not just know about God, but know God's heart. John, in John 17, 3, when Jesus is praying in the garden, he says this. He says, and this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, in Jesus Christ whom you have sent. The purpose of eternal life is that we know God. We know God. That is the big deal of heaven, that we will see God face to face. And sometimes as we're sitting here right now, that does seem incomprehensible. Like, oh, you know, that's that dim picture. But God has always wanted that closeness with us. If you think back to Adam and Eve, when God created the world before sin, he walked in the garden with Adam and Eve. It's like uh, my, my grandma's favorite hymn was In the Garden. Anybody else know that hymn? It's kind of this really sweet old hymn. He walks with me. He talks with me. He tells me I'm his own. You know, it's sort of this sweet relationship with God that you can just share your burdens face to face, that you can share your day with him. It's this because he just wants to be with you. And it's in this pursuit of that relationship that that God pursued us. And if you read the Bible, it's the story of God's pursuit to restore relationship with us. And it culminates in Jesus. That Jesus is our way to God. That when he took our punishment, when he lived that perfect life that we were supposed to live, but we could never, ever live, 
Like, he made that way to God for us. And I don't care if it's the first time you've heard that or the, the billionth time you've heard that, we all need to hang on to that. That we can never make it to God on our own, that we need Jesus. Jesus said, no one comes to the Father except through me. And so it might seem obvious, but I want to ask, is that what you want this morning? Do you want to be close to God? Do you want to know God? Is there something in your heart that desires to know God for who he is? Do you want to hear his voice? There's something special about, like, imagining God saying your name, right? Like, when God speaks your name, imagine the peace and comfort that you will feel when God speaks your name. But Paul says right now, we only see through a mirror dimly. And when he talks about mirrors, he's not talking about our modern mirrors that are really, like, pretty high quality. We can see pretty much everything. Um, back in those days, they, had, they just tried to polish metal as, as much as they could to get a little bit of an image off of it. So it was just a lot of work to maintain them. So they would just keep polishing and polishing and polishing. And I think it's sort of this image of what our Christian life is like sometimes, right? Like we go through stuff, and sometimes it's hard to see God in those things. And so we work and we polish and polish and polish, and we pursue God and we pursue God. But still, like, the, the image fades. And, and I don't know about you, but I, you never have that consistent image. One day you wake up and you're like, God, where are you? Like, whether you drifted away or got distracted with something else or something tragic happened in your life or whatever, you wake up one day and you're like, man, where, where are you, God? We have to continue to pursue God. Through the grace that he gives, we have to continue to pursue God. We can't really have the conversation about loving people until we are fully committed to God. It's hard to love people when you're distant, to get for distant from God. It's hard to love people um, when, when you're not close to God because if the point of love is to be close to God, it's going to be hard to draw others to where you're not. So how do we do that if we're distant or doubting him? Because the other flip side is that we can actually love people without God. You know, we can, we can muster up strength in our own to just love people without God. There are plenty of people doing amazing, like, works of love just because they want to be good people, right? Just because they, they want to make a difference in the world. It's not connected to God in any way. There's just a bunch of people who want to be good humans, right? And, uh, I, I mean, you might have seen the popular bumper sticker floating around that says, uh, commit random acts of kindness and senseless acts of beauty. You know, there's not really a point to it, but we just know something inside of us says that we should treat each other with respect or love or do things for each other. And so even as a Christian, we can choose to love people out of our own humanity just because we know it's the right thing to do. Say, I'm a human, you're a human, like we should kind of care for each other. And many with that mentality outshine even a lot of us in the church and how they love people. And that shouldn't be uh, bad on them. That should be, hey, we should like step up, right? That should challenge us. There was an article in uh, Reader's Digest that was called 30 Simple Acts of Kindness You Can Do in Two Minutes or Less. I love the efficiency of that, right? Just, all right, we're just going to bang out this, you know, just do this thing. We're going to care for people. And there were things like help clear the snow off a car, 
um, offer to take a photo of someone uh, or help a friend practice self-care, which was confusing to me because then would that be self-care? I don't know, but um, maybe coaching. You can do it, man. You can take care of yourself. Um, you know, those are all good things, right? I'm not saying that any of those things are bad. Like, those are all good things, and people are motivated to love others, to be good humans. But the danger for us, if we are Christians, and we're just loving people out of our humanity, um, it can become a way to actually justify ourselves before God. It can be a works thing. You know, serving people can actually lead us to be arrogant towards God, to be like, look at all this cool stuff I'm doing for you. Aren't I great? It can be a form of self-righteousness. I know typically we think about self-righteousness as the things that we keep ourselves from or the things that we don't do. Like, and I'm thinking about my church growing up. It was, it was almost like your relationship with God was about what you could stay away from. <laughs> Anybody else experience that? And that's kind of like what your, you know, what your righteousness was. But it was even, you know, it wasn't really pursuing God. It was just trying to check boxes. And uh, the Pharisees embodied this type of self-righteousness in the gospel. And Jesus had some strong words for them. He called them out and he said, You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me, yet you refuse to come to me so that you may have life. If we're just trying to do the work but not pursuing Jesus, we're missing it. The life is in Jesus. And the the Pharisees had replaced their desire to be close to God with the desire to check boxes, with the desire to prove themselves out of what they do. And obviously, that's not righteousness. You know, if we're trying to love people with that kind of mentality, we just end up judging them. We just end up comparing ourselves against them. Uh, the Bible talks about our attempts at, at righteousness. They're like filthy rags before God. So it's just like if we if we look at someone else's filthier rags and our, compare them to our filthy rags and be like, yeah, we're good before God. You know, it just, doesn't, it just doesn't work. But we're talking about the other form of self-righteousness. There's, there's another side of the coin, which what we, is what we talked about. We can become self-righteous because of the things that we are doing, the way that we're loving community, our acts of love and kindness towards others. We can hold those up to God and say, hey, look at all the cool stuff I'm doing for you. And uh, look at all the ways I'm caring for others. Aren't I great? And that's another form of self-righteousness. We can get amped up about, like, serving the poor and loving others and justice, but then we, cannot, we can not allow God to speak to the other parts of our lives. We cannot allow God to speak to our sexuality, our greed, what we consume. We can say, no, I, God, I don't want you to go there, but look at all this stuff. So really, it's self-righteousness. It's just another side of the coin. And Jesus has sent us on a mission to announce that God is near, that God is close, that God is accessible because of Jesus. And so we need to hang on to that mission. Love would compel us to fight for people, that they would experience the freedom of being close to God. Because where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. There is freedom in being close to God. And if we end up just loving people out of our humanity, and if we only focus on this life and, and, and what we can do for people now, then we miss that mission. We miss the mission that we've been sent on. And so to make this a personal challenge, I want to share this, and this is sort of our next point that we'll dive into. What matters most 
in loving people is the condition of your own soul. What matters most in loving people is the condition of your own soul. Where are you at? Uh, there is this movement in England in the 1700s called the Wesleyan Church, started by John Wesley. Uh, the Methodists came out of that. And they actually spread by through small groups. And their small groups were famous for asking one question, and it was just this. How, how is it with your soul? How is it with your soul? That's how they grew. They were just honest with each other about the condition of their soul, where they were at with God. It was this whole movement that spread across England. They were willing to be honest about where they were at with Jesus, whether they had doubts, whether they had fears. Um, they confessed sin in community. They weren't afraid to ask about things. It was just this honest God transformation. It's like when the gospel grabs a, a hold of a heart, that's what has the power to transform a person. And they got to that by just asking the question. And so as we stand, as I stand here this morning, uh, consider where are you at? How is it with your soul? Where is your soul at? Are you weary this morning? Or do you feel distant from God? Do you feel tired? Does God feel far away? Do you want to know Jesus at, in a more full way? How is it with your soul this morning? And this isn't a question that we just ask now. This is a question that we ask every day. We need to speak the gospel to ourselves every day because we're going to keep on failing, okay? <laughs> That's guaranteed. It's not, we're never going to attain perfection. So we need to preach ourselves the gospel that I am only okay because of the grace of God. I'm only good enough because of Jesus. We need to continue to speak that to our hearts and allow God to transform our hearts. He can transform our heart and our soul. I want to give you this, uh, this verse from Proverbs. It's in Proverbs 4.23, and it says this. It says, Above all else, guard your heart. For everything you do flows from it. Guard your heart. Like above everything else. Everything else. Your heart is what's most important. It's not what you can do for me. It's you stewarding your own heart and your own soul. You know, every our heart drives the bus in our lives. It drives the bus. It, it's what compels us to go out and love people. It's what compels us to include others. It, it's what compels us. And if we're not taking care of our hearts, it's, it's going to get messy. It's not, it's not going to achieve what we want it to achieve. And before love flows out of our hearts, the love of God has to flow into our hearts. We need to allow that to happen. So my encouragement to you this morning is to tend to your heart. If you want to love well, tend to your own heart. Take time to, to find the forgiveness, the grace, and acceptance that's there in Jesus. Share your struggles with others in community. You know, they, they did small groups way back in the 1700s, and we do them now. I mean, if you're looking for a place to connect, let us know, because we want to provide that opportunity for you. You know, you also might try taking 15 minutes each morning just to say, God, I give this day to you. I give you my failures. I give you my fears. I give you, I give you my workplace, my family life. I give it to you. Just use me as you will. 
and take that 15 minutes just to surrender to God that, that morning. Take that time to also ask, well, where's my soul at this morning? Am I weary? Am I tired? Do I need grace this morning? Do I need love? And the answer is usually yes. Um, Jesus told his disciples this in John 15. He said, I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. It's nice that he said apart from me, you can do some things, right? I mean, I'm glad he put that in there. Except that he didn't say that. He said, apart from me, you can do nothing. Nada, okay? There's nothing you can do apart from Jesus. Nothing of value. You know, it's like we talked about at the beginning of this series. You know, if I speak in tongues of men and angels but have not love, I am nothing. The only way we're going to be connected to love is through the vine, through Jesus. And so we've got we've to... Uh, can stay connected. The word is remain, because we can stray. You know, we can easily stray. If we're not continuing to pursue God, we can easily stray and detach ourselves from the vine. You'll see that love is actually a fruit of knowing God and experiencing the Holy Spirit. It's not something we muster up on our own strength. It's not something that we we just got down or, or whatever we're, we're, we're gifted with. It's a fruit of the Spirit. It's a result of being close to God. And so we've got to stay connected to the vine. One of my favorite verses is Romans 5.5, 5, and it says that God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So the, the reason why we can love is because God actually pours his love into our hearts. But I think a problem for us is a lot of times we feel like dry wells, right? We feel like dry wells. I know I feel like that sometimes. That we have this great capacity to love, but because we don't feel connected to the source, any kind of water source, we're dry. We're just muddy. And when people try to draw from us, it's like we have nothing left to give. You know, you ever feel like that? You ever feel like a dry well? A dry well can't fake that it has water. A dry well can't muster up enough mud or anything like that to fake that it has water. And a dry person can't really fake love. If we're not connected to Jesus, we can't really muster up the love of God within us, within our own humanity. But unfortunately, a lot of times, because we're so busy, because we're distracted, because we're not staying connected to God, that's how we try to do it. And it's ineffective. And so my challenge to you this morning is to stay connected in the vine, to be connected, make that space to stay connected to God. So gauge this morning. Where, where is your well at this morning? How full is your well this morning? Is it, is it high? Is it low? Is it dry? Ask God to fill it. Because it's only from us having a full well that we could possibly do some of the things that God asks us to do that Jesus asks us to do. I don't know how we could muster up enough strength to actually love our enemies. I don't know how we could muster up enough strength in and of ourselves to pray for those who persecute us. That has to come from an outside source if it's going to be real. 
And as we wrap up our time this morning, I, I, I do want to end with this thought. We are challenged to, to pursue God here in the present, but we need to maintain that picture of what will be. Because one day, love will be all that's left. And that's a good thing. Love will be all that's left. Paul ends 1 Corinthians 13 by saying, So now faith, hope, and love remain, these three, but the greatest of these is love. The three most important things that keep us going on earth are our faith, our hope, and our love. That we have faith, that we trust God with everything, that we have hope that one day we will see God, and that we have God's love poured into our hearts. But Paul says the greatest is love, and the reason is that one day love will be all that's left. When we see Jesus, we won't need faith anymore. Faith will be sight. When we see Jesus, we won't need hope anymore because hope will be realized. We just get to enjoy the love of God forever. And so love is the greatest because love is our destiny. It's our destiny to be in a loving relationship with God. We're to be in a place free from the evil and corruption in this world. To be in a place where we can look God in the eyes. Where we can walk next to him like that song says. That we, he, we can walk with him and talk with him. So I'm excited for that. I'm excited for that day. And I want to say as a church, let's journey there together. We have each other. And wherever you're at this morning, if you're ready to take your first step into trusting Jesus, I want to encourage you to do that. Don't wait. If you're looking for a community that can help you grow as a disciple, I want to encourage you to do that. Don't wait. Or if you need to be challenged to reach out to a neighbor that needs help and that ultimately needs Jesus, I want to encourage you to do that. Write down that name. Reach out to that person. I want to go back to the cube farm, and the band can come on up. After Emily asked me that question, I was stuck for a second. She knew that I was a Christian. I had talked about that in the past, but I was stuck for a second, and as a 19-year-old, I fumbled around with the things to say, and I just said, hey, it's, it's because of God. And she looked at me, and she said, okay, well, everybody's got their thing, and she took off, and I haven't seen her again. And I wish I could put a bow on that story. And it was like, oh, it was so great. And thousands of people came to know the Lord. I, no, that didn't happen. <laughs> Maybe. I hope that it just kind of planted a seed in her heart. Um, but I don't know what happened to her. But people need to know why we love. We need to have an answer to the question. If someone asked you, hey, why, why do you love people? You need to be able to answer it. We need to have an answer for the hope that's within us because everyone needs to be close to God, not just us, not just our circle, not just our family, everyone. And so every time we love is an opportunity to share Jesus with someone else, not that we do it as an ulterior motive, but as an ultimate motive, that we want people to experience freedom in Christ. And if you're there this morning, you're kind of struggling with that, I encourage you to just be honest with God about that. Like, God, I, I have struggled with this. This freaks me out. I don't want to do it because it just gets the conversation started with God. God wants to meet you right where you're at this morning. And so as we pray, let's consider that.
God, I'm so humbled by the way that you love us, God. I'm so humbled by the, 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 not just the example, but the, the length that you took to reach out to us, to reconnect us with you in Jesus. And Lord, I pray, God, that you would pour out your love on our hearts this morning, wherever we're at. God, that, that love for us would not be something that we try, uh, that it wouldn't be something that we have to muster up, but that it would just be natural because we're close to you. God, I pray that for every heart here. I pray that for our community here, that as a result of that, we would be known for genuine love for people. And God, we want to meet people where they're at and take them to where you want them to be. And I pray that you would give us courage in our conversations. I, give, I pray that you give us courage in our workplaces. I pray that you give us courage in our schools. I pray that you give us courage wherever we set foot during the week, um, that you would give us courage in your spirit to, to keep the main thing the main thing to keep Jesus in front of us. Lord, to know that it's only through Jesus that we can be saved. And so we cling to you this morning, God. We don't want to just try to have less filthy rags. We want to love from our hearts out of gratitude for what you've done for us. So Lord, I pray for each person here, God, that we this week would ask, how is my soul? Am I weary? Am I tired? God, would you just meet us in that place, Lord? We don't want to be dry, dry wells. We don't want to be dry wells, God. We want to be full of your love. So I pray for that this morning in Jesus' name. Amen.